it really is an absolute. It really is an absolute joy and delight to be back with you again in uh, Ashton at Hope Church, and thank you for the warm welcome and for the invitation to be part of your special weekend of Bible ministry. Uh, the plan for the three evenings is to shine the spotlight on one character from Scripture, whom I am sure every one of us will know terrifically well. His name is Peter. Hence the catchy titles, How to Walk in Water, How Not to Lose Face, and How to Be Smart. Now you're thinking there this evening, what does an Irishman know about being smart? You know, but you wait until Sunday evening and we'll discover a little bit more when we get there, okay? Now, just a very short Bible reading this evening. The first one is in John chapter one. So turning to John chapter one and verse 35. John one and verse 35. Just a handful of verses we're gonna read right here to the end of that section in verse 42. It speaks here about Jesus calling his first disciples. So verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, I'm not sure what you think about when you first of all think of our dear friend Peter. But every time I think of him, I can't help but think of that well-worn story of Lucy and Snoopy. And some of you may recognize those names. I'm sure you do. They certainly appeal to me if no one else. But one day Lucy turned and said to Snoopy, you know, some days I feel like hugging you. And yet there are other days you really bug me. And you know, Snoopy thought about that for a tiny minute or two and then replied with this wonderful answer. But you know, Lucy, that's the way I am. I am huggable and I am buggable. Now, when I tell that story, and I can see one or two of you genuinely appreciate that, it reminds me of our friend Peter, the big fisherman who just happened to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I like to see him as a lovable kind of fellow, and that he was. But it's also what I would have called a likable rogue. He comes across in the Bible, doesn't he, as a very down-to-earth kind of bloke. And no matter where we read about him in the pages of the New Testament, Peter certainly left his mark. 
I mean, if I was to go around every one of you this evening and ask you a question, can you call me the names of some of the early disciples? I reckon the overwhelming majority of you, if not all of you, would certainly rattle off Peter, wouldn't you? And he would obviously be there, I would say, within your first two or three names. And you know, the thing about Peter is this, he certainly left his mark. And many times that was for all the right reasons. But sometimes, sadly, it was for all the wrong reasons. We know the narrative, don't we? There were times when Peter blew it big time. He messed up badly. There were times in Peter's life when he opened his mouth before putting his brain into gear. Well, folks, such is Peter. Welcome to the inside world of one of the most colourful characters in the New Testament church. I suppose in old-fashioned computer speak, when we talk about Peter, we could say something like this. What you see is what you get. But if you weave your way through the gospel narrative, especially Matthew, Mark and Luke, and part of John as well, you'll find that they are full of, the, of Peter, aren't they? As is the early part, the first few chapters of the Acts of the Apostles. Do you know what that does? That proves a point. Even the people who are cynical about Peter, that this guy really is larger than life. Again, when I think of Peter, I often think of him as being a, a jumble of contradictions. He's a mixed bag, isn't he? For example, he is confused, but also clear-sighted. There are times when he is exasperating, and that's putting it mildly. But other times, he is lovable. There are times when Peter is bragging and boastful. Other occasions, he's downright humble. There are certainly times in Peter's life when he is cowardly. But there are other moments when he is undoubtedly courageous. And no matter what we think about Peter this evening or what category we put him into, above all else, Peter is flesh and blood. He is a real human being. And I think it's important for you and I to realize this Friday evening that he's made of the same material as you are, as I am. And that's great. But then I look at Peter another time, and many times I can see myself reflected in Peter. And perhaps you can do that as well for whatever reason. I look at Peter, and I look at myself, and I say to myself, well, Sam, you're just a chip of the old block. But you see, that all begs the question, doesn't it? When it comes to our friend Peter, where did it all begin? How did it all start? Well, Peter's first chapter is recorded for us right there in the portion we read a minute ago in John chapter 1. And if you look down there at verse 41, verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. So that's the day Peter met Jesus Christ. We can put it like this for him. This was the first day of the rest of his life. There's no doubt about it, but for Peter, it was a complete turnaround. For him, it was a total change of direction. 
from that day forward to the end of his life, Peter would never, ever be quite the same again. And I suppose to help us understand Peter a little bit better, we need to ask ourselves the question, what do we know of him? Well, his CV would read something like this, okay? And I'm just going to rattle off one or two facts about Peter that you will be able to unravel in Scripture. Number one, he was born in Bethsaida up there in northern Galilee in the land of Israel. Number two, he was named after Jacob and Leah's second son, Simeon. Number three, he was a married man. And we know from the gospel narrative that he lived in the town of Capernaum, fairly close to the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Number four, it's also very, very clear from scripture that he ran a lucrative fishing business along with his brother Andrew and his partners, James and John. So that's a kind of a CV, a potted history of our friend Peter. Did you see what Andrew did down there in verse 41? The first thing that Andrew did was to bring his brother to Jesus Christ. Isn't that brilliant? You see, dear friends, God uses all kinds of people. That's the way he did back there and then. And thankfully, even today in your life and in mine, he still uses all kinds of people. And in many ways, Andrew stands in sharp contrast to his flamboyant, famous brother, Simon, who became Peter. So far as I know about Andrew, he didn't preach any sermons. He certainly didn't make any rash promises. He didn't even ask any stupid questions. But you know what we know about Andrew? And this is of mega significance. He was active behind the scenes, bringing people to Jesus Christ. You know, friends, for you and for me this evening, it's important that we take that lesson on board right at the very outset. Number one, that God has something special for you to do. It may not always be in the public eye. It may be behind the scenes. But the best thing that you can do, that I can do, is to bring other people to Jesus and to introduce them to him as the one who is the Lamb of God. But when it comes to Peter, here are three things well worth noting. Number one, Jesus knows who we are. Jesus knows who we are. And you find that down there in chapter one of John and verse 42. He said, you are Simon, the son of John. But the fact of the matter is, dear friends, there is absolutely nothing that Jesus doesn't know about you and about me. You and I are before him even today, like an open book. He knows all we have ever done. He knows our family situation. He knows who our parents are. He knows our vocation in life. He knows exactly where you are at this point in time, at this juncture in your personal history. There is nothing about you and about me that he does not already know. Now, that can be comforting, can't it, and challenging. For you and I to be able to say to our own hearts, Father knows, that means very much. 
So Jesus knows who we are. The second thing we discover is this, that Jesus knows who we can become. He knows who we can become. Did you see what he said down there when he looked at Simon? He said, and you will be called Peter. That name means a stone, a tiny rock. But it speaks of strength. It speaks of stability. It's talking here about dependability. It has the idea of permanence. And I just love this beautiful truth. Because Jesus sees us as we are right now. But because of his outrageous grace and plan for your life and mine, he also sees what we can become. He doesn't want us to stay the way we are at this point in time. No, no, he wants to move us on, to take us forward. So Jesus knows who we can become. And that in itself is a story, a thread of amazing grace. And the third thing we learn about him this evening is this. He not only knows who we are and who we can become, but Jesus can change us. Jesus can change us. I mean, that's what he did right here in the narrative, isn't it? That's exactly what he did with Peter, Simon, who became Peter. I mean, he gave to him a new reason for living. He gave him something to live for day after day. He gave him some good reason to fall out of the hammock on a Monday and a Tuesday morning. He had everything to look forward to. So the Lord Jesus wants to do something similar in your life and mine. He wants every one of us, be we young or be that bit older, he wants us to find our full potential realized in him. And so it comes to your heart this evening in the church or at home or wherever you happen to be watching to this particular ministry. And it says to you, I know who you are. I know all about you. I want you to follow me. I want you to find your focus in me and in me alone. So what else do we know about Peter? We'll turn back with me then to another portion of God's word. And it's in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, and you'll recognize these words. I have no doubts about that. This is another one of those amazing chapters in the word of God. Let me give you a quickie summary. John the Baptist has just come a cropper. I mean, the guy has lost his head. Then we read that Jesus has fed 5,000 plus. And then we read down there in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. But one or two things to highlight from that particular story. The first word is the word immediately. You know what that does for us this evening? It gives to us a sense of urgency, of utmost importance. Jesus said to his disciples, get in the wee boat, go over to the other side, and I will join you a wee while later. He dispatched them. He would join them later on when he had finished what he intended to do. He had some work that he needed to do. Basically, he wanted time alone with his father. He wanted time to seek his father's face. He wanted time to pray. 
I did not think about it, folks. Isn't that a jolly good principle for you and I to apply even in our own lives? There are times in your life and mine when we have to say, on you go, leave it for a minute, because we need to prioritize, don't we? And take time out alone with God. There are times that we have to say even to other people around us, hey, buddy, just give me a few minutes because I need to chill out with my heavenly father. Immediately is the first word. And then you just see what happened after that. Jesus prayed. Now, the disciples are quite literally in a wee boat somewhere out there on the Sea of Galilee. These guys are, to put it very simply, all at sea. And I would follow up with one or two exclamation marks. If you've ever been on a wee boat in the Sea of Galilee, you will know if you've had a smooth crossing, you've done terrifically well. I've been on the Sea of Galilee many, 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 many times when it hasn't been quite so smooth as I would have liked. It's been rough. There's been a bit of a wind. In fact, the last time I was on the Sea of Galilee was with a former colleague of mine, and we were in one of those wee canoe things, and I ended up in the water. Not a pleasant experience, I have to say. It was rough. You see, they were battling against a strong headwind. For these people, it was almost three feet forward and two feet back. The wind was incredibly powerful. The waves were unbelievably high. Now, remember, these guys weren't rookies. They were not novices. They weren't green behind the ear. These were seasoned sailors who knew every inch of the Sea of Galilee. And these guys are really, really up against it. But, but, remember, this is what Jesus commanded them to do. Get into the boat, go over to the other side. It's what Jesus wanted them to do. Let me put it like this. Jesus sent them into a storm. And you know, one of the lessons we can learn from that is so precious and yet so powerful. And it is this. That for you and for me who love the Lord Jesus Christ, there are times in your life and mine when, hey folks, bad things do happen to God's people. Life for you and for me ain't all plain sailing. We will encounter and face opposition. And we need to take this on board. That even when we find ourselves in the center of God's will for our lives, there are dangers that we will face. They were in the storm, but they were there, right in the center of God's purpose and plan. You know, I often hear people saying, in fact, <laughs> just a couple of days ago, uh, somebody had known a remarkable answer to prayer. And uh, the comment was, you know, God is good. God is good. I spent some time just a little while ago with a very dear brother, just hovering around the 70 mark, fit as a fiddle. But in the last number of months, he has been riddled with cancer and is fading away to a shadow of his former self. But you know, even in that stage, he testified to me of the goodness 
on the faithfulness of God. I just want to say to each of you, dear friends, this evening, in good times, God is good. But even when things go pear-shaped in your life and in mine, as they sometimes tend to do, remember this, God is still good. He hasn't changed. They were in the storm. Jesus sent them into it. And you see, just when they needed Jesus most, you see what the Bible says down there? He came to them. Now, it's four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning. When any decent people are sound asleep, but these guys are out there battling and braving it out against the elements, not sure what the future would hold for any one of them. Will they go down? Will they sink? For that is a very real possibility. No doubt, sir, at all. But Jesus came to them. And you know the beautiful lesson we have there, friends? It's that he knows how much we can take. He knows how much we can take. And at just the right moment, humanly speaking, he came to them exactly where they were. Thank God he still does just that. <laughs> Three things about Peter in this particular incident in Matthew chapter 14. Number one, Peter saw Jesus. Now that's stating the obvious, isn't it? But Peter saw Jesus. What's he doing? He has walked on the water. In fact, if you turn to John 6 and verse 19, John reckons that Jesus must have walked at least three miles on the water to get from where he was on the shore to where they were right in the heart of the Sea of Galilee. Now that's a fair wee distance to cover, isn't it? But let's remember, he's the Jesus who commanded the fish and they swam into the net. He's the one who turned water into wine. And that even here, the wind and the waves are under his command. And the Jesus that Peter happened to see is none other than a triumphant Lord. He is the omnipotent God. He's the one who is not passive, but is active. He's the God who can do it. But you know, folks, in your life and in mine, when things don't always work out the way we had hoped for or even prayed for or dreamed of, when things seem to be going uh, pear-shipped, as I've said already, with apologies to a pair, do you know what we need? We need what Peter had. We need to catch a fresh vision of Jesus coming to us where we are. So Peter saw Jesus. The second thing is, it only happened to Peter, but Peter saw an opportunity, didn't he? He saw an opportunity. Peter thought to himself, you know, hey, guy, you know, this is really far too good to miss. I'm just going to go for it. And you know what he did? Over the side of the wee boat, Peter went into the chilly, cold waters of the Galilee. Now, say what you want about Peter. He was impetuous. Sure he was. He was impulsive. No doubts about that at all. But look, let's give the guy some credit. He seized the moment. He seized the opportunity. 
Peter put his money where his mouth was, as we sometimes say. Now, Peter didn't do it to be seen to be the big guy. No, no. Peter did it because he just wanted to be near to Jesus. Do you know what that was? That was an act of faith. It was reckless faith, but it was faith in a firm belief that he could do it. And there are times in your life and in mine and all kinds of diverse circumstances that God calls us to do exactly what Peter did and exercise reckless faith because our trust is in him and in he alone. So Peter saw Jesus, okay? Peter saw an opportunity. You know what the last point is, don't you? Peter saw the wind. Well, he didn't see the wind, but he saw the effect of the wind, didn't he? And you find that down there in Matthew 14 and in verse 30. The question is, and you've heard this so often before, I'm sure, what caused Peter to be distracted? Why did Peter shift his eyes of Jesus? Well, Matthew tells us ever so clearly, doesn't he? The elements got the better of him. It, it was as though the penny dropped, as it were. He suddenly realized exactly what he had just done. He had jumped over the side into the waters, and he could hear the wind and all the rest of it. He'd have got caught up in all of us happening around him. He lost his focus. He lost his concentration in Jesus. And that's when Peter began to sink. Go down, down, down. He blinked as it were. Now, did you also notice what Matthew tells us? He prayed. <laughs> I bet he prayed. He probably prayed in a way that he'd never ever prayed before. I mean, it's only two or three words. Lord, save me. Now, okay, folks, in all honesty, he couldn't do much else, could he? I mean, he was going under. He prayed. If he prayed something longer, he probably would have sank. Lord, save me, deliver. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus answered and he reached out his hand and he caught him. And he said to him, Peter, your faith is little. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You know, folks, Peter could have stayed in the boat, but he didn't. Peter went outside his comfort zone. Let me put it like this. Those of us who have never stepped out of a boat should not be critical of those who do. For me, for what it's worth, a wet Peter is better by far than a dry Thomas. You may agree, you may not agree, but I admire Peter for his little faith that took him to where it took him. Listen to the promise of Jesus right there in verse 22. He said to his disciples, go to the other side. He didn't tell them what the journey would be like, but he said, go to the other side. It may be rough. It may be smooth. But sooner or later, they would get to the other side. What else can we glean from that little bit? Well, the water that threatens to be over our head is always under the feet of Jesus. And I suppose Peter's a class example, isn't it? He was going down, down, down. The water was going over his head. 
but it was under the feet of Jesus. A powerful reminder that come what may in your life and in mine, our God is always in full control. And the third thing we discover is this, the power of our feet is dependent on the focus of our eyes. In other words, we need to keep our eyes fixed, glued to Jesus Christ. The way him puts it like this, never, never lose sight of Jesus. The writer of the Hebrews exhorts us, looking unto Jesus. So in closing, let me say this. How do we keep our focus on Jesus? Well, number one, we do it through the word of God. And as we open the pages of scripture day after day, and as we worship together when we are gathered in his name and in Hope Church or wherever, we hear God and we see God. That helps us to keep our focus on Jesus. The second way to do it, we do it through prayer, through prayer, by being frank and open and honest before him. He knows what makes us tick. Down on our knees, as it were, we can share our dreams with him, but we can also share our inhibitions with him. And Jesus knows. That's how we keep our focus in Jesus. Number three, we do it through praise, don't we? We sang a wonderful song at the beginning this evening, King of Kings. When we praise him, no matter what the circumstances may be, it lifts our hearts to a whole new level. And number four, we keep our focus in Jesus through fellowship with others in the family of God. Okay, I concede that in the last 15, 18 months, that it's been a wee bit more difficult than usual. But hey, aren't we grateful for technology? And aren't we so glad that slowly but surely things are opening up again so that we're able to meet together one-to-one -one when we meet with each other? It gives us strength. It's a reminder we're not on our own. And so whether you're walking in the water or perhaps whether you are there in that little boat up and down and up and down and up and down, remember this, never lose sight of Jesus. And I think the challenge for every one of us this evening is summarized ever so beautifully, isn't it? You want to walk on water, said one of old, you've got to get out of the boat. And when you get out of that boat, keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ. God bless you. Thank you. <clears throat>